Welcome to the Informed Traveler Podcast, part of the Informed Traveler Radio Show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. It's a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. On this week's podcast, we're going to talk about the importance of trip interruption and cancellation insurance what it covers, what it doesn't cover, and the importance of having it. And then we'll head to Scotland and chat with the folks from Wilderness Scotland about their seven-day exclusive castle retreat, staying at not one, but two historic Scottish castles. And later in the podcast, we'll visit the Royal Aviation Museum of Western Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, learn about some of the exhibits and aircraft that they have on display. But first, as I mentioned, we're going to start this week's podcast talking about the importance importance of trip interruption and cancellation travel insurance. So joining us now to give us some insight on what it covers and the importance of having it is our resident travel agent, Ken Stewart from Cropit Travel Solutions. Good day, sir. Hello, Randy. Hello, everybody. Uh, hello to fall. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about uh, trip interruption and cancellation insurance. These are two separate things, right? But you can get them in one policy, right? They're basically always combined. They're not really separate. So it, it's, it is one policy, but it has two components to it, the trip cancellation, trip interruption. Uh, again, there are plans that include these as well that have a, little, a few extras as well, uh, sometimes a medical plan and uh, sometimes just an extra one that includes baggage, trip allowance, and things like that, which mm-hmm. are not included in the standard trip cancellation interruption. But again, it's, it's a personal choice thing we find with a lot of clients when we have the discussions. Um, it's a great opportunity. Trip cancellation uh, starts the day that you buy the policy. So, for example, you'd want to do it with any first payments that you're doing, whether they be deposits or anything like that, if you're paying final payments down the road or paying everything up in full right out through that. There is no uh, age limit. So, again, like some of the other policies, once you start handing 70 and stuff, you can do that. So if you have elderly people that are traveling, you can definitely buy it for them. Mm-hmm. And it has a few, a few inclusions. Again, the trip cancellation covers from the uh, day that you buy it until the day you start your trip. And that's why it's a two-parter, because once you start your trip, then it becomes trip interruption. Ah, got it. So that covers you right until the day you come back. And heaven forbid, if the last day or whatever that you had a misconnect or it was requiring you to stay early, they extend the policy automatically for you. So you don't have to worry about that. And again, all of these take place with any policy, that we, especially with us, that we sell through Manulife. As long as you give them a call, you're going to get yourself looked after, and that includes you know, extensions and all that kind of stuff. So the trip cancellation and trip interruption, you're going to want to decide how much you want to cover. Traditionally, we usually cover the full amounts of what your costs are for anything that is non-refundable. Uh, if they're refundable or you're going to get a future travel credit, traditionally the insurance companies will say, well, no, you get a chance to reuse that. They won't cover you for that. Oh, really? So if, uh, for example, we've had a lot of flight cancellations. Correct. Uh, if uh, I'm flying somewhere and I have trip cancellation or interruption insurance, my flight somehow gets canceled and the airline offers me a future credit, then I cannot get reimbursed for that flight? You you can apply a claim, and again, it's going to be up to the insurance company, depending on your circumstances and everything like that, whether or not they would allow you to do it as a claim. Correct. It becomes a bit of a gray area with everything that's going on since COVID. Hmm. Well, that's interesting, because I was thinking, well, if you had this, then you wouldn't have to worry if your flight got canceled or anything like that. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? No, no, no. And, and again, they work with you. I mean, they're not out to not pay you. 
Uh, again, but they just want to make sure they're following the rules that are set out in the guidelines and everything like that. And they do have some, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of cases over the years or whatever where the insurance company really wants to work with a client and do what they can to look after them because it means repeat business for them down the road as well too. Right? Just like yeah, that. exactly. You you're good the first time, you're not coming back. Exactly. <laughs> now, it's important, to, like you say, as soon as you have your deposit in for wherever you're going to get that trip cancellation because of, I'm thinking of uh, an instance of a hurricane, for example, it's, uh, it's, it's too late to get trip cancellation after the fact, right? Exactly, exactly. And it t- takes effect, like I say, the day you buy it. And another thing we t- advise all our clients, too, is we don't ever you know, want anybody to get sick. But heaven forbid that you, you know, book a trip and you've paid for everything or whatever and you're thinking about it and you decide, well, I'm not sure if I want it. And then you have just have a regular doctor's appointment or you don't feel well and you go to the doctor and he says, I don't like something, we're going to do some follow-up tests. That becomes a pre-existing condition and probably would not be covered if you did take insurance after the fact. Mm-hmm. Like the hurricane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's another example too. Um, now, trip interruption, give me an example that uh, usually comes up or sometimes comes up or has come up. Come up. Well, a lot of times you're on your trip or whatever and you have a family emergency and you have to come back home because mm. an elderly parent or whatever got hurt or, you know, somebody's looking after the kids, you were on a romantic getaway and one of the kids, you know, broke his arm or something, you want to come back home. You can come back home and they'll assist you uh, to a certain point with the flights as well as extra costs included in that as well as prorate the balance of your trip that you're not using. Uh, another reason could be that uh, all of a sudden yourself, you got sick, heaven forbid or whatever, and needed to come home. Uh, again, there's lots of, you know, different things. We could, we could spend a whole program just going through the, uh, yes, yes, this, this you can, this you can't, this you can, this you can't. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. But basically, uh, again, you know, medical reasons, anything like that, uh, family emergencies. And, and again, they're going to work with you and, and get you back or whatever, first off or whatever, and then we'll work on the claim part for you. And it includes uh, accommodation and meals if you're interrupted, just like uh, quarantine right now. Quarantine would be a good one for mm-hmm. interruption. Mm-hmm. If you got COVID down there and you had to quarantine, that would be covered. Uh, includes accommodation reels, delayed returns, misconnections. If you misconnect your flight because of the airline and everything like that, and you had to do a hotel, or even I think we talked a couple of weeks ago, whatever you had to stay, you can you know go set a claim right away. If it's five or six hours, or whatever, they're going to send you a few dollars in your bank account so that you can buy a meal and a and a beer uh, while you're staying there in the airport for extra things like that. And again, there's you know a lot of things are there. And the nice thing about it with Manulife, the company we use as well too, is you have that 10-day free look. So, again, we always say it's a personal choice we find with a lot of clients when we're having that discussion because they say, well, I might have it on my credit card, I might have that. Mm-hmm. We always suggest buy it up front because uh, if you do it within the 72 hours, it also includes uh, cancel for any reason, which means if you cancel your trip 14 days or more, they'll guarantee at least 50%. So if you had to cancel and you weren't sure of the reason uh, and they weren't sure of the reason and decided it wasn't one that fell under any of the guidelines, mm-hmm. you can get 50% back at least within 72 hours. And again, you've got the 10-day free look. So if you decide down the road, uh, you know, before the 10 days are up that you've got enough coverage on your credit card or you decide you just don't want it or whatever, you just call us we refund it. Nice. Well, it's the old adage, it's better to have it and not need it than not have it. Exactly, exactly. And tying in with this, as we did mention, there is, you know, another one we call the non-medical inclusive, which includes everything we just talked about for trip cancellation, interruption, as well as baggage, flight insurance, and a few extras. And of course, they're all included in all the all-inclusive plans and premium protection plans, which have the medical component. Well, good advice. Uh, If anyone has questions, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, Canada Crowfoot Travel Solutions, 403-241-7140. Relax. It's all taken care of.
of staying at a Scottish castle is part of your travel dreams, the folks at Wilderness Scotland can set it up for you. Plus, plan some activities for you in the Scottish Highlands as well. It's all part of their seven-day exclusive castle retreat. So joining us now to tell us more about it is Stevie Christie. He's the head of adventure for Wilderness Scotland. Their website is wildernessscotland.com. Hi, Stevie. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited to learn about the exclusive castle retreat. But before we get to that, just tell me about Wilderness Scotland, uh, some of the things you do and how long you've been around. Sure, yeah, we've been in business for a little over 20 years, which staggers me every time I say that out loud because <laughs> I still think of myself as a young man, um, but that seems to be passing. Uh, we run uh, hiking and biking and other outdoor adventures all across the highlands and islands of Scotland. Nice, and you have a, a wide variety of uh, itineraries that you do, but today we're going to talk about the exclusive castle retreat, which I think would be amazing. Uh, so tell me about that one. It's, it's seven days, six nights. Let's just run through uh, the basics of what, what it is. Yeah, um, it's a really special uh, itinerary for sure. Um, we, uh, over the past decade or so, have noticed uh, a lot more luxury travelers uh, getting in touch with us and we you know that's great fun for us because when budget becomes less of an issue we can really put our collective imaginations together and dream up some really uh, incredible experiences uh, for, for these travelers um, and I guess this itinerary that we've created based around these two um, historic castles it's just it's a kind of collective uh, here's some things we've done um, with different with different families and groups over the years, um, it's designed to be super flexible and everything's customizable. Um, typically, uh, somebody who wants to come and, and stay in these castles, which are very luxurious, um, might not want to do exactly what's on our website, but that's fine. We, we tend to have a good conversation with our with mm. our prospective clients and just find out what makes it tick for them. And then, like I say, we'll put our minds together and come up come up with something that's hopefully creative and inspiring and, and lots of fun and probably something that they they haven't thought was possible uh, is kind of what we like doing. Mm-hmm. Well, it does sound interesting. Tell me about the castles themselves, though. They are they're incredible places. Uh, we get a little bit blasé about history in Scotland sometimes because <laughs> everything's so old here. My first ever uh, apartment was like 250 years old, but it was just a house for me. Um, <laughs> these castles are a bit older than that. Um, the, the first one we stay in dates back to the, the 14th century um, and the second one to the 16th century. So they're proper historic castles. And one of the features that you might find if you were researching Scotland on your own is that there's lots of castle hotels Mm -hmm. and sometimes those are real castles that have been converted and sometimes they're just buildings that look a little bit like a castle Mm -hmm. um, and give that kind of flavour but these castles in this trip these are the real deal they are entirely authentic they have been refurbished and upgraded so that they're incredibly comfortable inside um, but they are proper historic castles so the one uh, we stay, which is close to Edinburgh, has had some really incredible people stay there uh, over over the centuries. Mary Queen of Scots, Oliver Cromwell, um, uh, Sir Walter uh, Scott also stayed there as well. Uh, so some pretty um, amazing uh, people, and you're actually sleeping in the same uh, bedrooms or, or bed chambers, as the castle would call it, uh, that those uh, that those people would have stayed in, which is yeah, kind of mind blowing if you if you're 
if you're lying there in that environment. Um, well, yeah. And then up in the Highlands. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? The history is everywhere. And what I always find with these kind of locations, because they're so historic, you, you kind of, you find yourself absorbing history just by being there. And they're not run like a hotel, they're run like a private home. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you, when you come inside, there's, it's not like, well, this is the kitchen, don't go in there. If you want to come into the kitchen, uh, you can just go into the kitchen and there'll be the big arched fire uh, places. And uh, if you look closely, you might you, sometimes you can find little uh, indentations around the fireside where over centuries people have sharpened knives or, or swords <laughs> against the, the, the stone walls. Uh, so there's lots of little things. And, and like the, sta- the spiral staircases, they'll be slightly worn in the middle of each step because mm-hmm. the stones are several hundred years old, which, yeah, it just is mind-blowing the number of people that have followed or preceded you in your steps up to the upper chambers. So, yeah, incredible places. Um, the, the, the castle up in the Highlands, it, for me, is one of my favourite places in Scotland. Um, it sits right on the banks of Loch Ness. It's the only castle on the banks, apart from a ruin across, across the other side of the loch. And um, so you've got prime viewing for, for the monster sightings, <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> Um, but it's just it's just a wonderful uh, location. It's kind of right in the heart of the Highlands. So um, if you want to go out and spend uh, a day hiking or if you want to go over to the coast and, and try and spot some wildlife or, or come down in, into Speyside, which is where I, where I live, and, and visit some whiskey distilleries, it's all within really easy reach. But sometimes you get to a place like that and you think, actually, I may just sit in the Grand Hall and read my book. <laughs> it's a pretty incredible place just to be. Well, yeah, it's not every day you get to, get to sit in a Grand Hall of a 16th century or 14th century castle, that's for sure. Especially not in these parts, that is for sure. Um, so, like, are, are these uh, guided tours? Is someone with you to help you along or are you, are you kind of on your own or how does that work? Sure. So, so the castles are their exclusive use. So, when uh, if, you, if you wanted to to book an experience and involve the stay there, then um, you know you'll get there. The castles are, are staffed, so they've got a team there looking after your every need. The food, needless, needless to say, is just incredible. Um, but yeah, you, most people will want to go out and do some touring or, mm-hmm. or, or do some activities. Uh, so we've got a team on hand that you, that would travel with you. So everything from uh, touching down uh, in, in the airport to you know getting back on the plane at the end of your trip, we'll have somebody with you, um, and we've got an incredible team of, of, of guides and, and leaders who their job is really to take all the hassle out of travel to make mm-hmm. it as easy as possible for you to kind of I guess anticipate your needs. Um, one of the key skills they have really is that they listen to po- what you're saying uh, because sometimes when you're designing an itinerary with, with uh, guests. Uh, you, you design a, an outline of what you want to do every day. But then when a guide's actually with them, they're spending several days with, with the same people mm-hmm. and they can pick up on little things that they might say. Uh, and we've had countless instances of this in the past whereby somebody might just mention a casual conversation that actually their great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was from a town and actually it's not too far from there. And our guide will say, well, hey, would you like to go and visit that place and we'll see what we can track down. Oh, cool. And um, we've had incredible encounters in pubs where people have said, oh, yeah, you, you, you used to live at that farm up there. You should go and knock on the door. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're being reunited with some relatives from, from many generations past. So, um, yeah, just listening to people, understanding what, what makes them. We're always trying to just do something that's really going to give people a lasting impression of 
just something really special and some special memories. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just looking at the itinerary. It does include, you know, you're uh, right on the shores of Loch Ness, as you mentioned. So you can try and see the monster if you if you can. Uh, but there's also, like you said, there's um, lots of hiking going on. But whiskey and dancing. Tell me a bit about that. <laughs> Um, just just another day in the Highlands, really, isn't it? So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's one, one of these places um, where, you know, if, you, if you're in the Great Hall, for example, um, they are um, large enough to have a what we would call a Cayley, which is a night of traditional music and dance. Mm-hmm. It's a Gaelic word that just means a gathering, essentially. Um, so, yeah, if, if our guests are, are, you know, if they're travelling in a big enough group to have their own like house party Kaylee, then we'll we'll organise some traditional music, maybe a storyteller to liven the evening up. We do, of course, show people how to how to do the dances, um, and everything gets a lot easier after a couple of whiskies. Um, <laughs> always a sure guest on that. Um, but even if you're travelling in, in a small group, because we've had families of just three or four people book uh, these castles, and um, you know sometimes we we can bring in get the guide get the guides or the or the castle staff involved just so that you don't feel like you're dancing in a, in a big old hall by yourself and just create a bit of an atmosphere but it's lots of fun it's definitely a very traditional thing to do and um yeah confuses people no end uh, all, the, all the, the little moves and every move involves another spin or a twist and um yeah a good fun experience well it would be i don't think i'd want to go home after spending a week doing all this and staying in <laughs> castles <laughs> absolutely not um, it is well. Time is always our enemy, and we're running very short of it. Uh, it's the exclusive castle retreat. You can find out more about it on the Wilderness Scotland we- website, wildernessscotland.com. And Stevie Christie is head of adventure for Wilderness Scotland. Uh, you appreciate your time, Stevie. Hey, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, anytime. If you're an aviation buff or history buff or both, the next time you're in Winnipeg, Manitoba, you might want to spend some time at the Royal Aviation Museum of Western Canada. There's lots to learn, see, and do there. So joining us now to give us some insight on visiting the Royal Aviation Museum is Terry Slobodian. He is the president, CEO, and curator of the Royal Aviation Museum of Western Canada. The website, royalaviationmuseum.com. Hi, Terry. Hi, good afternoon. Now, I was checking out your website, RoyalAviationMuseum.com. I'm getting the impression that it's newly opened. How new is it? Yeah, so we were uh, we were closed from October um, of 2018 until May 19th of 2022. So tell me about the museum, how the, the story behind it, how it uh, began, and, and, you know, how, and how you got to where you are today, I guess. Yeah, so the the museum was actually founded in 1974, and it's it's uh, just prior to that. It would it uh, one of the um, sons of one of the founders said, "Hey, Dad, how come there's no more Vickers Vedettes left?" And so that began the uh, the vision to um, first of all find those Vedettes, but second of all to realize that boy, if we're going to preserve Western Canada aviation history, we're going to need to find wrecks. And so in the 70s and 80s, they really focused on gathering as much uh, of aviation history, both in terms of aircraft and artifacts that they possibly possibly could. Um, and uh, 
in 2014, we actually received uh, the royal designation that we have now, so that we were previously the Western Canada Aviation Museum, mm-hmm. and uh, now we're the Royal Aviation Museum of Western Canada. And um, as I said, we um, we closed uh, for a period of time so that we could rebuild, and we just opened to the public on May uh, 19th of 2022. Nice. So uh, I know you're in Winnipeg, but where is it located in Winnipeg? So we're right on the airport campus. So if anybody flies into Winnipeg, you can't miss it because everybody that leaves the airport has to uh, has to pass by the uh, by our uh, facility. Mm-hmm. And also, we're only one of two um, aviation museums in Canada that's on an international runway ourselves and the one in um, Mount Hope Hamilton Airport one. So uh, that's a great opportunity because we can um, receive visiting aircraft here. From Hamilton, for example, they could send a Lancaster bomber uh, to land here, and we could show it off for a week uh, on our tarmac right, right here, right next to the uh, to the runway at the Winnipeg International Airport. Cool. Uh, now, I'm, again, I'm looking at your website. It says more than 90 historic aircraft, 70,000 artifacts. Where do you find space for all of that? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a problem all museums have. <laughs> Uh, is roughly uh, 10% of a museum's uh, collection is able to be, you know, uh, displayed for the public at any given time. So we have 24 aircraft that are actually in in the museum or or outside of the museum, and the rest of the aircraft are uh, stored in a variety of places. We have a we have a restoration facility here in Winnipeg where we restore aircraft. It's, um, let's say, 20,000 square feet. The museum mm-hmm. itself is 86,000 square feet. So in order to keep our collection fresh, uh, we plan on restoring aircraft and then cycling them into the museum and cycling other ones out for a period of time. And then we also have a facility at St. Andrews Airport um, where we have more aircraft, and then we have other aircraft that's stored stored out stored outside. <laughs> well, you kind of touched on it. How do you decide what belongs and what doesn't? And I'm I'm sure you get people contacting you all the time saying, "Hey, we got something you might be interested in." Yeah, and that's where our mission uh, statement uh, helps out, right? Because it's got to be, uh, you know, Western Canada aviation history. Um, so that that helps weed out some stuff uh, right off the right off. Uh, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So how long of a visit should I plan for? Uh, what do I need to know? What can I expect? I'm, I'm sure there's lots of cool things to see. Yeah, so um, what we're finding is a typical visitor spending two hours. Um, so, you know, you could spend two hours uh, visit, I think, would provide an opportunity to be able to see everything and, and, and take, every, take everything in. One of the things that we have here at the museum is an observation lounge, which is overlooks the runways of the airport. So some people who are, uh, we all know people that would drive out uh, to a particular place and watch planes fly overhead mm-hmm. and spend hours there. So uh, that kind of a person could spend a whole day here just watching all the aircraft because we also have, in that observation lounge, we also have um, live air control chatter so they can hear what's what the air, uh, air traffic control is talking about. And then we also have a webcam that is overlooking those runways as well, um, but you can appreciate that 
a big a big screen uh, a foot away from you is going to show off that aircraft a lot better than you can see it even if it's on the runway. So uh, that's one thing that we have. Certainly for families, it's uh, it's fantastic because we knew that families would would uh, be a huge part of our target audience in mm-hmm. terms of people that want to come to see us. So we have uh, for the youngest children, we have what's called the Galaxy Exploration Zone. It's so they can climb and crawl and play. Uh, and be and be inspired by um, kind of a galaxy space theme, mm-hmm. and then for the little older ones on the second floor we have what's called the science of flight area, and uh, there's all kinds of inter- interactive things that they can can do there, including we have a model of a of a musketeer aircraft where they can do a roll pitch and yaw with that aircraft, so learn, basically learn how to fly. Oh, cool. Uh, and then also down on the first floor, we have what's called the mechanics workshop, where there's four four different engines from different eras where uh, an individual can put their foot on a pedal and hear what that engine actually sounded like and what kind of airplanes it was in. And then we have a touch-me wall where you can uh, you can touch all kinds of stuff on the wall Um you know, again, for interactive and interactive purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I get my tickets in advance, or can I just show up? You can just show up, uh, but you also can buy them on advance. Mm-hmm. And uh, on our website, I know you're on it right now. Uh, there's a there's a, a section where it says plan your visit. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that you could do. And then we also have special uh, dates. You know, obviously we're going to do something for for Halloween on October 22nd. We have Another aircraft uh, that's going to become a part of our collection, it's a, a Douglas A-26B Invader uh, from the Second World War. One of the things that you'll find here is there's essentially three types of aircraft. Um, because of our focus on Western Canadian aviation history, about half of those 24 aircraft are uh, bush planes. Mm-hmm. But then we also have commercial aircraft, such as the we just got it done September 7th, the um, Electra, which is similar to the aircraft that Amelia Aircraft, uh, Amelia Aircraft, Amelia Earhart uh, flew in, and we also have the Vickers Viscount, where you actually can go in it. Uh, and it's basically 1950s, 1960s travel. Um, the windows are huge, the seats more legroom, and people can actually uh, go in, and that that's becoming one of, one of the uh, favorites of many people. I would think that you can compare what it was like to fly back then to what it's like to fly now, right? Well, the food was a lot better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you, you gave us a, a few examples there. What's the oldest aircraft you got? The oldest, so the oldest aircraft is the Vickers Viscount, 1924. Okay. Uh-huh. So we, we call that our signature aircraft for three reasons. One is because, as you pointed out, it's our oldest aircraft, but it's... Uh, from the story I told at the beginning, it's how the museum started. Mm-hmm. Let's go find, there are no videttes left, let's go find them. And the third part of it being our signature uh, piece is that it, it took um, 100 volunteers 20 years to restore the aircraft. So a lot of people, when you walk through the museum, you go, wow, those are beautiful aircraft. But in most cases, they've been restored, mm-hmm. and they were wrecks before, wrecks before. So it tells us the story of, you know, as a museum, we have, we um, seek to uh, preserve and restore and bring those things back to, you know, back mm-hmm. to the condition that they were at back what, when they flew. What is your favorite aircraft that's there? Well, you know, I have to say all of them, but I, I, will, <laughs> yeah. I, will, I will tip my hat because I, I'm sure you'd want me to. So I would say it's the uh, Starfighter. Okay. 
Uh, it's a military aircraft, and there's three world records that it held simultaneously. Fastest aircraft, which, oh, that's probably why he's his favorite. Fastest aircraft, fastest climb, and the highest altitude. So, And it's just beautiful, slick. Uh, it's called a missile with a man in it. It's um, or a missile with a person in it uh-huh. uh, would be more would be more correct. So it's um, you know all kinds of statements it has about it. It looks fast even standing still, and so it's it, it's uh, it's certainly a favorite of many as well. Mm-hmm. I had a model of one when I was a kid, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, you know, time is always our enemy here. We could go on, I'm sure, but uh, people will just have to visit. It's the Royal Aviation Museum. You can go on their website. Uh, there's lots of information there, royalaviationmuseum.com. And Terry Slobodian is the president, CEO, and curator of the Royal Aviation Museum of Western Canada. It was great chatting with you, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. It was great chatting with you as well, and I look forward to hosting a number of your listeners. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. Remember, this is the podcast version of the Informed Traveler radio show, which is heard each week on Chorus Radio. You can find more information on the show at our website, theinformedtraveler.org. So thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, let us know, leave a review, tell a friend, or you can drop me a line. My email is randy at theinformedtraveler.org. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.